Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, business leader, or just someone curious about developing data skills, the Data Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of Story IQ, Dominic Bohan. And today we're going to discuss how to use data to improve your content management strategies. Joining us today is Jonathan Parks. He's the founder and executive producer at Alibi Music which provides an easily searchable database of music and sound effects for storytellers. From film studios, trailer companies, TV networks, promo houses, advertising agencies, and video game companies, Alibi Music makes it easy to back up your story with the perfect music or sound effects. Yesterday, Jonathan and I talked about Data's role in creating searchable music libraries. Today, we're going to continue our discussion and discuss why data management is the unsung hero of creative businesses. Here's my conversation with Jonathan Parks, the founder and executive producer at Alibi Music. Jonathan, thanks for joining us again. So data management is the unsung hero of creative businesses. Tell us a little bit about what data management is and why it's important. It's basically just making everything findable, whether it's, you know, it could be a streaming channel like Netflix and like it recommends movies based on other movies you like, which is all data driven. And that's just how anyone finds anything anymore. It's just how it works. That's it's why it's imperative. I, no matter what you're doing, it has all the appropriate data, and you know also includes SEO and just being findable. Yes. So, what are some of the best practices to achieve that? The best, just the best practices to make sure every single piece of data that's relevant to a creative asset is attached to that creative asset. So that does include creative search data, like mood and genre instruments. And even those, you know, some words mean different things to different people. You know, nothing's perfect, but you try to get as perfect as possible. But then there's all the other data that no one really looks at or cares about on the user end, and that's ISRC codes and publishing data and all this stuff that really actually gets us paid at the end of the day. And without that, we if it's not there, if it's not attached, if it's not registered, then we can't track, we don't get paid properly. So you know, there's the creative aspect, the searchable aspect, and then there's just the full out, this is how we make money part. Not to be neglected. Yeah. So presumably no one's searching for ISOC codes. I'm not sure what they are, but it sounds like some way of tracking the sales. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, we have numerous codes attached, including their publishing registration code, which this is when we register them with ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, whoever, we get a code, which then it gets attached to the track title. 
So that's one of the codes. I, I honestly don't remember what SRC codes are anymore. Fortunately, we have a, a publishing department that truly specializes in that and could talk all day about codes. But since they do that, my brain power is focused on all the other things that we don't have full-time people for. So in the last episode, we focused a lot on tagging the data correctly to make it searchable and give the end user a fantastic experience so they can find exactly what they want. We talked about how to get great people that are going to do it meticulously, about how AI is not there yet. So we talked a lot about getting the right data in to create a searchable music library. Let's talk a little bit about once we have that data in, how do we manage it? How do we use it efficiently? keep it secure, keep our server costs down. Um, I'd love to know how you deal with some of these challenges. I mean, having the data is, again, the important first step. I, I believe our site took three years to build, almost, to, which is a long time, but a very custom site from the ground up, which without the system to utilize the data, the data is not very useful. <laughs> so we, we had to build a system from the ground up that truly utilized all the data we had to the extent that we have it in. And then as far as you know, hosting costs, like the data is not what costs us money. It's 400,000 audio files. It's so the data is not the, uh, the part that's uh, breaking the bank here. As in the, the metadata, the tagging, it's the audio files themselves. Yeah, that would, that's taking up server. Room and how many, I don't know if you measured in gigabytes or petabytes or what units, but how much data is 400,000 pieces of audio? I honestly don't know, but also it's large, but it's nothing like video assets. For that much audio, it's probably worth like two 4K movies that are on Netflix or something. So it's a lot for music, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that much data. Okay, so the hosting is not the biggest issue. What I find very interesting is 270 columns, 400,000 rows. I've got a pretty beefy gaming laptop with a powerful GPU. And if I tried to run that on this computer, I know for sure it's going to crash right away. So how do you set up that database in such a way that the user is able to query it, and presumably they get a response within less than a second. Yep, I got nothing on that. We have, I think, developers are magicians and magic wizards, and they made it happen, and it's awesome. That's my insider knowledge on how things work. <laughs> you know more than me. I, I've always been curious, <laughs> but I've worked with data a lot, but it's always a data set that I can essentially analyze in you know, Excel or a Python notebook. Very interesting in terms of the data engineering side of things. Where do you want to take the conversation? What aspects of data management did you want to talk about? I think this, I mean, it's everywhere. It's when you're shopping on Amazon. It's when you're looking for what to watch. It's when you're Googling how to go fishing. It's, it's in everything we do. We're a creative company that works for creative clientele. So we're coming when our clients come to us for for the catalog they're looking for pre-existing assets of music 
that they can utilize to be one of the many, many characters within their production, along with lighting and actors and sound mixing and uh, scenery and all the incredible things that go into making something. And, you know, we're always proud to be one of those things to be included, but to be able to do that, they need to be able to find what will work for that particular project and that particular scene and that moment. And so for us, it's as providing that service, even if you're not familiar very much with what we already have, we make it very easy to find by having the accurate keywords and a huge, I'm a huge proponent of negative searching for anything. Negative searching is available on nearly every search engine that exists and no one knows about it. So that's why on our site, we have a positive search field and a separate negative search field. Again, I don't know of any site with a search that doesn't include negative search, just no one knows about it. If you go to like, I, I would assume it works on Amazon. I haven't tried recently, but like go on Amazon. Like I'm looking for pants. You put pants and you put like minus denim, minus red to just eliminate those from the search results. Google, same thing. I don't know. I don't know many people I've met who knew about this until I told them or cared <laughs> to begin with. But when you're searching searching for some mysterious music for a crime show, then, I don't know, some Latin music comes up. You're like, ah, that's some cool Latin music. I, this isn't, I don't need it for this crime show, though. So you just take, put in Latin, and it takes off all the Latin. And you're looking for mysterious music, and then some mysterious circus music comes up. I'm like, good to know they have that. Really don't need that right now. So the more you start eliminating by using negative data, you just narrow down to what you actually need really quick. It's a great tip. I got to level with you. I didn't realize this was available in Google. I, I knew it was available in search engine marketing tools. But so are you saying I can go directly to Google and then in order to do a negative keyword search, do I just do a negative sign next to the word? Yes, it's like cake recipes minus lemon or whatever. This lemon. I'm just going to try it out right now because uh, where has this been all my life? <laughs> Getting a bunch of chocolate cake recipes. All right, now I'm going to switch to minus chocolate. So I've literally just put a negative sign in front of it. And I, so when I put minus chocolate, it suddenly it switched to almost all lemon <laughs> recipes. Um, this is so handy. This is a great tip. So are you saying in your product, you don't even have to use the negative symbol? you kind of prompt the user or suggest to the user that they do this and have a separate field or some sort of graphical way of saying, here's where you put your negative words. Yeah, we have a positive search field and then a completely separate negative search field right in the front page. Again, the I, I can't speak for other competitor websites that do what we do. It's negative searching seems to be available almost everywhere, but no one knows how to do it, so... We just made it very, very clear. That's fantastic. Any other features like that that you've implemented to make life easier? Oh, yeah. It's very useful for what we do is on our homepage in our world, 
offering a search based on tempo and BPM, beats per minute. That's very common. Everyone has that. So before we had this website, and for like the last 20 years I've been doing this, I, I would have a small little free app on my computer or phone that I'd tap along the BPM to the rhythm of, a, of the cut I was watching or if a client sent a reference track. So on our site, it's, you, we have a tap tempo BPM where you just tap and it sets the BPM range for you. It's really the dumbest, most simple thing, but if, if especially if you're looking to replace an existing piece of music, if you put the BPM at right, BPM range and some of the instruments and genres, you'll get, you'll pretty much get close to what you need almost right away. And then for obvious stuff like instruments, you've just got filters for that. So I could pick the instruments, the BPM, keywords. Yeah, once you get past the initial search, which is positive search, negative search, tap tempo BPM, we also have it set up that it defaults to searching for a full mix, but you can also search all the mixes or just the drums and bass mix or all the stems or none of the stems. So we allow the users to search everything or just specific things. Again, on the length side, we have 30s, 15s, and 5s. So we also have a filter so you can, if you're cutting TV spots and you only want to hear the 30-second versions or 15-second versions, you can filter it that way. Now, once you get to the main, the full search, we have a filter for key, instrument genre, pretty much everything, mood. And this is going back to those 270 columns that all of this information is tagged somewhere. Now, coming back to yesterday's conversation a little bit, presumably things like BPM and even instruments can be detected algorithmically. They don't have to be manually tagged. Is that right? That is, for the most part, true. Those are pretty accurate. But as we're getting them in, we might as well make sure they're completely accurate. So that is one of the things that the artist and composer, when submitting the finals, will include in the file name. So we just know it's 100% right. Cool. So it's a double check there. And oh, yeah, I, I was trying to ask. You would see what everyone searches for. What are some of the weirdest or most interesting queries that people go looking for? I don't think there's anything that's like an everyday common weird thing. If it was, we'd make it. <laughs> it's okay. We need Turkish folk music, hip hop with, you know, but you know, it has to have the include the word yellow in the lyrics. You're like, you're just asking for someone to do custom music for you. Would you like to talk about custom music? Which we would be happy to help you with. Okay. Well, Cause I've, I've heard of artists using, really interesting sounds like rusty teapots scratching against a fence and things like that. Do you provide those kind of obscure sounds as opposed to completed music? Uh, yeah, we have a catalog of a very large sound design library that's been used in every major theatrical movie marketing campaign in the last 10 years, as well as plenty of other things. But those are the cool things you've heard of. Whatever movie you can name from the last 10 years had some sound design in it from us, as well as music here and there. 
Are your main clients video producers as opposed to musicians? Our clients are all video producers. All video producers, okay. Yeah. Because it sounds like a music producer might find access to some of these files useful. Yeah, and we do actually do that. But we do that through a company that specializes in making catalogs available for sampling called TrackLib. So, you know, we need to focus on what we're really, I mean, what we make music for is really people making video. So it's a whole other business model to really market and promote yourself for use of sampling. So we, our catalog is available on TrackLib for artists to sample, and we do get an artist's sampling something from us nearly every day from there. Very cool. So data management, the unsung hero of creative businesses, any additional thoughts, insights, stories to add about data management, specifically in a business like yours? Well, again, it's like, eh, just because I mentioned, just mentioned TrackLib, it's also just being able to make your data available to do that, like to partner with other companies and specialties that you don't have because you can't just be like hey here's 400,000 disorganized audio files good luck you gotta make sure those uh those spreadsheets are very clean absolutely and so if people want to experience your product can they check it out and see what you have on offer for free can they experience the search without a full subscription and just see some of the file names or samples yeah, anyone can go to our site and just search around without logging in. And then to actually use anything, then people need to log in and license or contact us to work with the catalog. That's awesome. So the site is alibimusic.com. I'm going to check it out right after this podcast, actually, and have a play around with some of those features and maybe a listen to a few of these interesting sounds. So thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. That wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks, Jonathan Parks, founder and executive producer at Alibi Music, for joining us. If you'd like to contact Jonathan, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at Alibi Music LP, or visit his company website, alibimusic.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your most compelling use cases for data, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is StoryIQ on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is at Dominic on Twitter. If you haven't already subscribed and you want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed tomorrow. That's all for today. But remember, until next time, when it comes to data, less is more.